Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Lamentations chapter 3. This chapter, by the way, is 66 verses long. Uh, The other two that we just did, 1 and 2, were 22 verses long. And uh, these are all, except for, with the exception of chapter 5, acrostic poems. Acrostic being that uh, in the first two chapters, each verse represents the first or one letter from the Hebrew alphabet. The Aleph is the first one. Uh, I think Omega is the last one. Um, But anyways, uh, each verse starts with one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Well, verse 3 is 60, or excuse me, chapter 3 is 66 verses long. And so each three verses of uh, chapter 66 is starts with one letter from the Hebrew alphabet. And of course, you know, we lose it in translation. So, in fact, when I was preparing for our, my study, uh, preparing for today, I was reading through one of my versions, and it doesn't, you know, it just it's basically just all the verses kind of in, in a row. And, and uh, I was kind of starting to study, and then I thought, you know, I'm going to look at some other translations. And all the other translations I really appreciated because they kind of divide the three verses in chunks. And I thought, well, that makes a lot more sense. And when I started reading it and studying, I go, wow, it really makes a lot more sense because each three verses, I think, kind of tie together. And, and so that's kind of the approach that I took at, at uh, preparing for this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do come before you this morning, and Lord, we are so grateful for an opportunity to worship you and to enter into your presence. And Lord, now that our hearts have been just turned towards you this morning, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through the words of Jeremiah, Lord, and that, Father, that you might instruct us this morning and and encourage us and guide us this morning, Father. We want to hear a fresh word from you for our lives today, Lord, that we can take from here and live in our own lives, Lord, as we obey your word. And so, Father, may your word produce fruit in our lives today. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to be kind of, I'm trying to be a little upbeat because chapter three, all these chapters are like, oh, you know, I mean, when you read them, it's like, oh, this is really depressing. And uh, this one is in many ways, no different. The first portion of chapter three, Jeremiah is reflecting on God's wrath. And it's, it's serious. I can't make light of it. It's serious. And, and Jeremiah is just mourning. And so we're going to take a look at that. So verse 1 of chapter 3. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me. Time and time again throughout the day. Now, when we go through these verses, note the use of personal pronouns here. Jeremiah is either speaking for himself in this chapter, or, as some commentators think, he is poetically speaking on behalf of the people, as the people of Jerusalem. Um, You know, if you've ever done any Bible studies... Uh, and you start you start digging into it, and then you go, I wonder what the commentators say. Uh, you know what? It can really mess up your study sometimes because you can get like five. If you get five commentaries, you can get five different opinions. And so a lot of times it's like, okay, Lord, I just need you to speak to me, and I need you to guide me. Well, I don't happen to think that 
Jeremiah is poetically speaking for the people. I think he is speaking for himself here. And the reason why I say that is because not only did Jeremiah speak and prophesy about God's judgments for like 40 some odd years, but now he's here, he's living it. I mean, he's not just like, you know, like sometimes we might say, you know, you know, if you're witnessing to someone, you know, Jesus is returning and, you know, there's all this bad stuff coming and you want to get your life right with the Lord. And, and we're thinking, you know, the rapture of the church, the rapture of the church, man, we're going to be out of here. We don't have to go through that. Jeremiah wasn't raptured out of that. He lived through the destruction and the devastation and he saw it with his own eyes. And, and he was not, you know, God didn't spare him from it. He endured that just like everybody else did. And so I think Jeremiah is just, I think this is him speaking from his own heart. The first three verses here, like I said, that's kind of one chunk that reverse, uh, refers to the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Here he's describing about walking in darkness. And you know, if you're in darkness, you have no sense of direction. And time and time again, he feels like the Lord is against him. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. It's like, man, everything is just going against me. That's how Jeremiah felt. Verse 4, He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. This spiritual affliction that Jeremiah was enduring, it was becoming physical for him. And that happens sometimes. When you're going through a, a very heavily spiritual time, sometimes it can, it can manifest itself physically in our bodies. You can see that with stress in your own lives, right? You get stressed out. You know, things are just weighing on you pretty soon. You know, you've got health issues. Maybe you get an ulcer. Maybe you got high blood pressure or whatever, you know. Um, this spiritual affliction has taken a toll on Jeremiah's body, and he's feeling like he's already got one foot in the grave. It's like, man, I'm, I'm almost dead. Verse 7, He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. Jeremiah here feels cornered and hemmed in on all sides. Man, he feels trapped. It seems like even his prayers don't go past the walls of his prison. I don't know if you've ever felt that. I've felt that before. Going through a tough time and I start praying and, and it, it just it's like it just doesn't feel like it goes anywhere. It's like it's just bouncing off the ceiling and it's coming right back down. Well, that's how Jeremiah is feeling. Verse 10. He has been to me a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and, uh, and set me up as a target for the arrow. I mean, this is pretty serious. Jeremiah feels like God has pounced on him and ripped him to shreds. And it's as if he's in God's crosshairs and God's just got a bead on him. And it's like every move he makes, God's nailing him. Verse 13. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become the ridicule of all my people, their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. Wormwood, it's another phrase. It, just, it means bitterness, basically. You know, Jeremiah's ministry was an unpopular ministry. 
People didn't aspire to be like, I want to be like Jeremiah. I want to be, you know, I want to, I want a ministry like Jeremiah's. Why? Because he never had a single convert in 40 some odd years. He was ridiculed by the people. He was, they tried to kill him. He was thrown into a cistern. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And in Jeremiah chapter 20, Jeremiah is, he's complaining to the Lord. Now, he doesn't always complain. He's a weeping prophet. But, you know, even in your and my life, sometimes you get to a point where it's like, Lord, why is this happening? Well, Jeremiah's in chapter 20, he said, Oh, Lord, you induced me. In other words, you tricked me, Lord, and I was persuaded. You were stronger than I, and I have prevailed. Remember, God called Jeremiah as a young man and said, Jeremiah, I'm giving you this ministry to go speak to my people. And Jeremiah said, Lord, you know, I'm just a youth, man. I, I, I don't, they're not going to listen to me, and I, I don't have any experience. And God said, I'll be your mouth. I'll be your voice. You just obey me. And so Jeremiah did. And for 40 some odd years, he's been ministering. And now he's looking back and goes, Lord, you tricked me. You tricked me into ministry. Look what's happening. Everybody's mocking me. He says, I'm in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. And then later on in that chapter, in verse 10, he says, For I heard many mocking, fear on every side. Report, they say, and we'll report it. In other words, they heard Jeremiah saying, you know, God's bringing destruction to the land. They go, destruction to the land. There's all these people. Come on, Jeremiah, tell us some more. And they were just making fun of Jeremiah. Verse 16. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. He is at such a low point in his life that he feels like he's been knocked to the ground and his face is in the dirt and he's eating gravel. I mean, that's pretty low, you know? It's like you're, you're moving your mouth and you just feel the, the, grum, you know, the, the crackling of, of gravel between your teeth and he's covered in ash. I mean, that's low. He doesn't have any peace in his life. I mean, he's not even thinking about prosperity. You know, God's going to bless me materially and all that. No, that's not even on his radar screen. He is so low right now. He's just trying to make it through the day. Just surviving. If I can just make it through the next, you know, eight hours or something. If I can just survive that, you know, tomorrow, that'll be another problem. That's how bad he is. That's low. I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of a situation, but that's where Jeremiah is just trying to make it through the day. He's not, the last thing he's thinking about is, is prosperity. And he's even reached the point now where he is starting to proclaim that there's no more hope from the Lord. You know, when you and I go through tough times, hope, there's always that hope, right? The hope is, this isn't going to last forever. The hope is, you know, God's going to deliver me. Somehow I'm going to make it through this. You know, you and I as believers, you know, we have that hope, right? And so so as long as we have something to cling to, okay, yeah, this is terrible what I'm going through, but, you know, I have hope. The problem is when that hope, that, that hope disappears, that's the last thing a person has to cling cling to. And the hope that this won't last forever, the hope that there's a brighter day coming, the hope that somehow you're going to make it through to the other side, when that ray, that glint of hope that you're hanging on by a thread, when it's gone, it's pretty much over. And Jeremiah's like, you know what? I'm, I'm almost at that point. I've even said, and it's past tense, I've even said there's no more hope from the Lord. That, that's bad. One thing 
that Jeremiah has stressed through all these verses that we've read so far, if you haven't noticed, and I think this is an important point, God has done all this. Notice he's saying, God's done this. He's done this to me. You know, this affliction is from God's hand. And I know there's some people that, you know, they look at that and they go, oh, man, I, have, I struggle with that. Why would God do that to his, one of his servants? Verse 19, Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Now, it's interesting that this, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. What is this that he's recalling to his mind? Some of your Bibles, and I don't know what, I'm reading out of the New King James Version, but some of the translations have a colon at the end of that verse. And that means that Jeremiah is saying, okay, this is what I recall to my mind, and this is why I have hope. And then the next verses after this is what's giving him hope. And, that, and, and so that they're implying that by that colon. I'm no Hebrew scholar, but I think each three of these verses tie together. And if that's true, then Jeremiah could be referring to something in verses 19 and 20 that he recalls to his mind and gives him hope. But when you look at those verses, you go, I, I, don't, I just don't see it. What could possibly give him hope? Well, notice in that verse that he says his soul sinks within him. That word sinks means to be bowed down and to be humble. And this is what I think possibly Jeremiah is referring to. I think Jeremiah is possibly recalling the words of David in Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, verse 17, David writes this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Jeremiah is about as broken as a person can get. And now, I think... He's recalling Scripture. He's recalling the Psalms and what David wrote, that God won't, don't, won't despise a broken heart. And David's taking that promise of the Lord, that one Scripture, and he's saying, you know what, I'm going to cling to that. My life is miserable right now, but you know what? God's, that, uh, God said that. It's a promise in the Word, and I'm going to stand on it. And so he's clinging, probably by just his little fingernails, clinging to that scripture. And I think this is a key point for you and I. Because it's for times just like this, when you feel like you're as low as you can't get any lower, it's times like this when it's important for you and I to know scripture or to turn to the scriptures. And that can make a difference between hope and despair and between victory and total defeat in your life. You guys, we have an enemy. The Bible says he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to take your eyes off of Jesus Christ. He wants you to despair of life. And so he's going to do anything he can to make your life miserable so that you'll take your eyes off of Jesus. You'll look at yourself and you'll go, there's no hope, and you'll walk away from the Lord. That's what he wants you to do. The last thing that he wants you to do is to grasp onto the promises of God. And that's why a lot of times when you're going through difficulties, the last thing is like, man, I don't feel like reading my word. 
I don't feel like being in fellowship. I don't want to share this with you. know, the last thing he wants is for you to be in fellowship or for you to be in God's word or for you to turn to the Lord because he wants to isolate you. And yet that's exactly what you and I need to do is to get into the word of God. And it's at times like this that the word becomes an anchor. We sing about that. You're an anchor from the words. Your words are an anchor for my soul. That's what he's talking about. It's like, you know what? I'm drifting. Everything is pulling me this way, but I'm going to cling on to that promise of God's word and I'm going to hang in there. And this might be the only passage, the only verse that I have, but I'm going to cling on that verse because it's God's word. And that can make the difference for you and I hanging through a difficult time. And so now Jeremiah starts reflecting on God's mercies. And this is a beautiful portion of Scripture. You probably have heard some of these verses. There's songs that are written because of these verses. Verse 22, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in Him. We all deserve destruction because of our sin. Your and my thoughts, our actions, our motives, our words, the things that we do, they all reveal to you and I our sin nature. You know what God says about you and I? In Romans 3.12, it says, They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is no one who does good. No, not one. And yet... His mercies, His compassions, they never fail, and they're new every morning. I've clung to that verse millions of times. That verse has been one of my, that's one of my favorite verses. His mercies are new every day, because I need His mercy every day. When you and I confess our sin, and when we repent of our sin, man, that slate is wiped clean. God doesn't get historical with you and I. Well, yeah, but last time. You said that before, and look, you just did it again. God doesn't get that way with us. His mercies are new every morning. And notice, Jeremiah doesn't say, the Lord gives me my portion. He says, the Lord is my portion. Let me ask you this rhetorically. I don't need anyone to answer me, but are you looking to God for what you can get from Him, for what He can do for you in your life, or what He can save you from? Think about this. If everything and everyone were stripped away from you, like happened to Job, would, you, would Jesus alone be enough for you? That's, that's some really... I mean, your family's gone your wealth is gone. Your health is gone. Your, 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 your closest confidant, which in Job's case was his wife, has pretty much said, hey, curse God and die. I mean, that's about as low as you can get too. Job experienced that. Can you say, man, all I need is Jesus. I don't need anything. Just Jesus, you're my portion. This is exactly what Jeremiah is saying here in essence. Verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. To the soul who seeks Him, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. And here's another question for you. If God answered all your prayers, 
as soon as you asked Him, if He never ever made you wait for an answer, I mean, as soon as you pray, boom, there's the answer. Now that does happen sometimes. But if He did that all the time, every time you pray, boom, there's an answer. If He never allowed you to be in a situation where you had nowhere to turn, nothing to hope but but just Him alone, if He spared you from any difficulty or having to wait for anything, how deep do you think your relationship with the Lord would be? Think about that. How deep would it be? How much character would you have? How much fortitude or endurance? How strong would your faith be? How much patience would you have? Let me, those of you that are parents, try this experiment at home. They usually say, don't try this at home. Try this at home. Take your children, and whenever they ask you for anything, give them whatever they want. I mean, as soon as they ask them, give them what they want. And, and, you know, spare them from any kind of difficulty. Don't make them wait for anything. You know, just, just wait on them hand and foot. It just try this as an experiment and, and do it over a, a period of time. Don't just do it for one day. But, you know, do it, for, do it for a few years. What do you think is going to happen to your children? Well, how do you think they're going to be? I, I can tell you how they're going to be. I'll, I'll probably ask you not to bring them into our children's ministry. <laughs> they're going to be brats. They're going to think that the world revolves around them. And you know the thing is, unfortunately, there are Christians that are like that. Really, it's like, God, I want you to do this and this and this in my life. And the world revolves around them. And they they, they don't have any patience. And yeah, God hasn't answered their prayer. Teresa was praying for her sister for 20 years to come to the Lord. That's a long time to be praying and asking. And God didn't do anything. 20 years, and then finally, God answered that prayer. That's a lot of waiting. That's a lot of patience. Try it and see what happens. I guarantee you won't like the results. And you know, I don't like having to wait. None of us like having to wait. I always want an answer as soon as possible. And I usually want that answer to be yes. But you know, God doesn't always do that. But God loves us. He's like a loving father. He is a loving father. He's a perfect loving father. And a perfect parent knows that if I just give in to everything that they want, they're going to become spoiled rotten. And I don't want to do that because I love him too much. God loves you and I too much. And he wants to build faith and he wants to build character and trust and patience in us. So sometimes he doesn't give you an answer or he makes you wait for that answer. It's because he's trying to do a work in you and in me. Verse 28. Let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach. What? (laughs) Wait a minute. Sit in silence? Put his mouth in the dust? You know, what Jeremiah is saying here is instead of being humbled, he says, let him humble himself. Instead of, you know, you got knocked and your face is in the dirt, he's going, no, put your face in the dirt. Start chewing the gravel. Put yourself down. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and be full of reproach. You know, I don't know if you grew up this way, but I grew up with phrases like, you know, you need to be more assertive. You're not assertive enough. You need to stand up for your rights. Don't take that lying down. You know, I've heard stuff like that growing up. You probably have too. Our society says that to us. So here Jeremiah is basically saying, you know, uh, let someone strike you on the cheek. 
you know, just sit alone in silence and, and put your mouth in the dirt. You know, l- humble yourself. How could a person ever do that? Well, I can tell you how. By being a follower of Jesus Christ. Because this is exactly how Jesus lived his life. He humbled himself. He didn't, he didn't, people didn't humble him. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus allowed people to strike him. And he didn't strike back. He didn't, he didn't respond back. He allowed himself to endure all that stuff. Of course, for your and my sins, right? He paid that price for us. You want to re- live your life, man. That's the way to live your life, following Jesus. Verse 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. You know, i got news for you. God's not sitting in heaven planning how he can afflict you. Man, wait till <laughs> wait till the angels see what I could do to this guy, man. You know, God's not sitting there like, ah, man, I just this will be fun. You know, I, I need a little humor today. You know, so I'm going to afflict Don with flat tires, and you know, we'll see what happens. You know, God's not that way. Psalm one hundred three verse eight says, "The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy." But the thing is, like I mentioned before, he's a loving, perfect father. He loves you and I too much to just sit idly by while you and I continue down a path of sin and destruction unabated. He's got to do something about it because he loves us too much. And so sometimes as a loving father, he has to chasten his children. But when he does that, just know this. He doesn't take pleasure in it. He doesn't do it with glee, you know, like, woohoo, you know, I can't wait to do this. God would much rather you and I confess our sins and repent, which means to turn away from our sins. That's why he kept sending all the prophets to Israel over and over and over again for hundreds of years, generation after generation, turn back to me, turn back to me. You know, And he did that for so many years. And then finally it's like, okay, they're not turning back to me, so now I have to punish them. And they went into that captivity for 70 years. Verse 34 to crush under one's feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the justice due to a man before the face of the Most High, or subvert a man in his cause, the Lord does not approve. See, God sees all the injustice that happens under the sun, and He doesn't approve of it. You know, lately I've been getting very frustrated. You know, and I tell you what, uh, I, I found... A lot of times I go to Fox News on the website, and, and I found, you know what? On a Sunday morning, that's probably not a good time for me to go to Fox News because I get riled up. It's like, what? They're doing that, and there's so much injustice, and they're lying about that, and all this junk that's going on, and you get so angry and go, man, where's the justice in this world? Well, people seem to be getting away with murder, but you know what? God sees it. He doesn't approve of it, and one day he's going to set all that right when he comes to reign and rule on the earth. Man, he's, he's going to set it all right. And those people are going to have to answer for all that injustice that's going on. Verse 37. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? Why should a living man complain, a man, for the punishment of his sins? You know, some of our afflictions 
are a direct result of our sin. Something we've done, we've brought it on ourselves, we're paying the price for something that we've done. Some of our afflictions are a direct result of sins others have committed. And we've, we've been affected by other people's sins. And then, some of our afflictions are just an indirect result of the curse of sin on mankind. It's just a result of the fall. You know, it's just there's things that happen that, you know, it's because we live in a fallen, broken world. You know, after reflecting on God's wrath and His misery, Jeremiah is starting to instead reflect on God's mercies. And you'll notice as he's going through this, his perspective is changing as a result. And now he's starting to reflect on the sovereignty of God. Now, if you believe that God only wants to bless you with wealth and health and material prosperity in this life, then a verse like verse 38 ought to really trouble you. I had a a guy here used to attend our church, and he had cancer. And uh, he had gone to many different ministries and and different churches. and, And some of the churches had said, you know, you don't have enough faith. And, you know, God doesn't want you to have disease. And, you know, he wants you to be healthy in this life and all this stuff. And and he came up to me once and he goes, you know what, I, I just came across this verse. And he showed me it. And he says, you know. For some reason, God's allowing me to, to have this in my life. And he, he was okay with it. Very interesting. As Jeremiah is reflecting on God's judgment on Judah, he realizes, man, they have no right to complain. God's judgment is just. And so now, verse 40, he's starting to instruct. Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. Jeremiah now turns to prayer, echoing a prayer of David. Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, this should be our prayer too. When I stated earlier, we all deserve destruction because of our sin, our actions, our thoughts, our motives, our words, our deeds revealed to us, our sin nature. I mean, it's like we deserve destruction. Maybe you might have bristled at that. You say, oh, man, I'm not that bad. I don't deserve what I'm, go- what I'm going through in my life. Well, let me tell you, the Bible also says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And we can deceive ourselves into justifying our words and deeds and motives. And Jeremiah is urging the people through this prayer to turn back to the Lord and to have the Lord, Lord, examine my heart. And I think that's something that you and I need to do because we can deceive ourselves. And so we need the Lord to reveal to us, what's my heart, Lord? Where am I at with this? And then, of course, the best way to beat the blues (laughs) is to start worshiping the Lord. You know, he says, let us lift our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. That's a very good prescription for depression and for the blues and for just having a real terrible time is to start worshiping the Lord. Why? Because you will regain your hope. You'll get the right perspective and your joy will return. Verse 43. You have covered us, excuse me, you have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. 
You have slain and not pitied. You have covered yourself with a cloud that prayer should not pass through. You have made us an offscouring and a refuse in the midst of the peoples. You know, God spoke early, and He spoke often to His people, sending prophets and warning them and warning them. And He was just waiting for them to respond in repentance and to turn their lives around, but they rejected Him. And now they're in their misery, and now they're crying out, and their prayers don't seem to be reaching His ears. If you've ever read the book of Proverbs, at the very beginning, wisdom is speaking. It's like wisdom is like a person. And you say, I'm crying out in the streets to you people. And in Proverbs 1, verse 24, it says, but this is wisdom speaking, because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded, because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not Find me. God wants you and I to repent of our sins. You know, sometimes we ask God to bless us, and we, we pray through things, you know, when our lives, when there's sin that we haven't dealt with in our lives. God wants you and I to deal with those sins first. Then Jeremiah here says, You have made us an offscouring and refuse in the midst of the peoples. That might sound kind of similar to you, because Paul says much the same thing in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, you know, he's made us the offscouring of the world, talking about the apostles. There's a difference, however. The apostles were being reviled for Jesus' sake. And Jesus said, you're blessed when all men revile you for my name's sake. You're blessed. But Peter also says in his epistle, you're not blessed if you're being reviled because of your sin. So here's a difference. If you're being reviled because you know you're following the Lord and people are making fun of you because you're a Christian and they're they're persecuting you in the job or workplace or your family or whatever, you're, Jesus says you're blessed. But if you're being persecuted because you've just you've been a jerk and you've sinned and you've blown it, uh, you're not blessed. You're being reviled because of your actions. I mean, let's let's be honest with each other. The captives were being reviled, but it was because of their sin. Verse 46, All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and a snare have come upon us, desolation and destruction. My eyes overflow with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes flow and do not cease without interruption till the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes bring suffering to my soul because of all the daughters of my city. I mentioned that Jeremiah complained in that one verse, but Jeremiah was not known as the complaining prophet. There was another prophet that was a complaining prophet. That was Jonah. <laughs> Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He was not the complaining prophet. He's not the self-righteous prophet sitting in the cave going, ha, ha, man, I told you guys for 40 years, and now it's happening. You know, I'm, I was right. You guys were wrong. He's not the self-righteous I told you so, prophet. He's the weeping prophet, man. He's, his heart is just broken over the, the devastation in people's lives. Jeremiah wept like Jesus wept. You know, in Luke chapter 19, talks about Jesus. And, and, and he's, 
he's, he's uh, on the Mount of Olives and he's looking at Jerusalem. And it says, now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. Why was he weeping? Because he knew that they were going to reject him and he knew what was going to happen to them as a result of their rejection of him. And, and Jesus just cried for the people of Jerusalem. Later on, Jesus is questioned by his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 13. He's just hanging out with the guys. And he says, hey guys, my paraphrasing, who do men say that I am? And it says, so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. It's interesting they compare Jesus to Jeremiah. Why? Because Jeremiah wept and Jesus wept over the devastation in people's lives. Wouldn't that be awesome if when people look at the life of Jesus, they go, hey, that reminds me of my coworker. That reminds me of Dave. You know, that reminds me of Jesse. Can you imagine? Wouldn't that be awesome? If when people look at the life of Jesus, it reminds them of you. <laughs> Verse 52. My enemies without cause hunted me down like a bird, and they silenced my life in the pit and threw stones at me. The waters flowed over my head. I said, I am cut off. I called on your name, O Lord, from the lowest pit. You have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my sighing, from my cry for help. You drew near on the day I called on you and said, Do not fear. You know, Jeremiah here in this prayer, I think he's recalling the time when he was thrown into a cistern. The cistern was like a holding tank for, for water in people's homes. And, but it didn't have any water in it, but it just had mud. And so he was thrown into this cistern. It says that he, he sank into his waist, basically in, in the cold, dank, dungy mud. And he couldn't move. I mean, he was, he was trapped there. And they left him for dead. They were going to just blow him off and forget about him. That's in Jeremiah chapter 38. He was unable to free himself. But God moved the heart of Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian eunuch, who was part of the king's court there. And he went to the king, and he pleaded with the king for Jeremiah's life. And so the king said, yeah, send some guys and go get Jeremiah. And so Ebed-Melech got 30 men, and they lowered clothes down into Jeremiah and told him to put him around. They probably saw Rescue 911 or some of those shows, you know, and said, wrap this around you. And they pulled him up, and, and uh, they got him out of the mud and rescued him. Jeremiah is probably reminding the people through these verses based on his own experience. Hey, I, I was in a very low place. I called out to the Lord, and God rescued me. God hears you and I when we cry out to him for help. And I think this is another key point. Reminding ourselves of God's past mercies always helps us to look to him for our present difficulties. Let me say that again. Reminding ourselves of God's past mercies always helps us to look to Him and to trust Him for our present difficulties. And so Jeremiah, is, I think, is, is telling the people, hey, I was in this very low place. I was left for dead. I cried out to God, and God delivered me. And I think he's trying to tell the people, cry out to God. He will deliver. There is still hope. Verse 58, O Lord, You have pleaded uh, the case for my soul. You have redeemed my life. 
O Lord, you have seen how I am wrong. Judge my case. You have seen all their vengeance, all their schemes against me. You have heard their reproach, O Lord, all their schemes against me, the lips of my enemies, and their whispering against me all the day. Look at their sitting down and rising up. I am their taunting song. Repay them, O Lord, according to the work of, of their hands. Give them a veiled heart. Your curse be upon them. In your anger, pursue and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. That's kind of a bummer way to end the, the chapter. But I think Jeremiah in these last verses is turning to the Lord and asking him to revindicate him from his enemies. And it's interesting, Jeremiah, I don't think, considered the people his enemy. You know, his fellow, he's weeping about, weeping over them. But I think he's speaking about the Babylonians. And this prayer was answered by the Lord. You know, the Babylonians were God's servants to bring chastisement on his people. But that didn't give them a free pass. They should have likewise feared God. And one of their rulers, Nebuchadnezzar, he learned that lesson. And get to Daniel, we'll, we'll, we'll read about that. But the rest of the Babylonians and the leaders that succeeded Nebuchadnezzar, they didn't have that fear of God. And they were judged for their sin and they were destroyed as a nation. How many of you know Babylonians today? I mean, you might say, well, there's Iraq, Iraq, you know, the ancient Babylon, but they're not Babylonians. That Babylonian nation is destroyed. But you see, God had mercy and compassion on Israel. After 70 years, God brought them back into the land. And what blows me away, God brought them back into the land after 70 years of Babylonian captivity, knowing that generations later, they're going to reject Jesus Christ, their Messiah. Knowing that they're going to, they're going to turn their back on Him. And yet Jesus or God still brought them back into the land and had mercy on them. They, and then, of course, they would be driven out of the land, this time for over 2,000 years. And you know, there's this phrase that the Jews always said, and maybe for 2,000 years, they'd say, next year in Jerusalem. You know, they'd have the, the, uh, the Passover celebration. They'd go, next year in Jerusalem. That was a phrase that they said probably for two millennium. And then I think it was 1967, I think that was the, the battle that they actually got occupied Jerusalem. I mean, they were in the land in 1948, but I think it was 1967 war where they actually were able to occupy Jerusalem. And it was like, God's answered their prayer after 2,000 plus years. Talk about waiting for an answer from the Lord. Talk about having patience. God, who is rich in His mercy and faithful to His promises, brought, has brought in our lifetime Israel back into the land. That alone should be a comfort to you and I when we go through difficult times. God's faithful to His word, folks. You can take it to the bank. You can trust it. Why don't you stand up? I know sometimes, you know, and I don't minimize anything that anybody goes through in their lives because, you know, maybe you're going through a difficult time and you might share it with me and I go, you know, to me it's not that bad of a situation, but, but for whatever you're going through, it's difficult. You're going, it's, it's devastating to you. And I might share stuff, you know, that, that I go through and you go, well, it's not that big of a deal. I know that we all go through difficult times, so I don't minimize anything that anyone goes through. But I want to encourage you to trust the Lord, to dig into the Word, 
Start reading your Bible. Start memorizing Scripture. Find those Scriptures, those verses, and go, you know what, I'm, this is a verse I'm going to cling to. And when you get into those situations where you have nothing else but you have God, you have Jesus and His Word, then, then that's, that's, you go, man, that's my portion. I, I'm okay with that. I'll just cling on to that. And as you do that, God will be faithful, I promise you.